Blog Talk Radio. Happy Sunday. This is Candace Frederick. You're listening to another episode of Cinema and Noir. I am joined by my co-hosts, Rebecca and Kimberly. Hi, ladies. Hi. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. So many of us are, yeah, many of us are probably watching the Olympic Games, which began officially yesterday. Um, And so we thought it would be cool to have a sports film um, themed show. And that'll be in the latter half of the episode. But the beginning of the episode, um, we wanted to talk to you guys about Suicide Squad and the never-ending debate between critical response as well as fan response. Um, I know personally I've seen a lot of people, and and I I think they're kind of a combination between, like, fanboys and girls and just, like, casual moviegoers um, who are basically just – panning all critical reviews, which have been overwhelmingly negative, I'll say, for Suicide Squad. So I'm going to throw this over to Rebecca. I know you've actually seen the movie. What do you think, and what do you think of the overall discussion? Um, well, my personal um, review of Suicide Squad, or my thoughts on Suicide Squad, is that it's not the worst comic book movies come out, but it's not exactly the best either. Um, to me, it's just sort of in the middle. It's not It's not really anything remarkable. Um, I think there were some good performances. I think Viola Davis was really good as um, Amanda Waller. I liked Will Smith as Deadshot. Um, although I, I felt like I was watching Will Smith with guns. I didn't, uh, I don't feel that he really immersed himself in that character. Like I, he was pretty much Will Smith from beginning to end, but I think that's just a Will Smith thing where he's just, he's such a big personality and he's so charismatic um, that there, there are really a, a few roles where he's actually disappeared into the role. So I didn't see him do that in, um, for the Deadshot characters. So, um, Margot Robbie, who plays um, Harley Quinn, I thought she did a good job. I thought um, for the material that she was given, I think she did the best that she could. <laughs> and so I don't I don't fault her for that. I think that was really, um, you know, it's a combination of a, a screenplay that needed more work. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk of um, studio interference, um, you know, where they were – so worried about Marvel, what Marvel is doing, that there were additional reshoots, there was, you know, additional editing, and I think you can kind of see that when you watch Suicide Squad, because it really felt like you were watching, like, four different movies at the same time. Um, 
you know, so I, I kind of wish that they had picked the lane sometimes. Mm. Um, as far as the, the critical acclaim, and, and also there there has been a lot of, um, you know, there have been uh, women critics like Jenny Amato and Donna Dickens, um, you know, Monica Castillo that have really, uh, and Brianna Rue that have um, pointed out the, Objecti- the objectification of the Harley Quinn character that it was overtly sexual, and I and I think these are critiques that we that people need to pay more attention to. Um, I've noticed that there are people who are just kind of dismissing it. You know what I mean? That and also the criticism of the Harley Quinn and the Joker relationship, um, because we know that from the animated series, you know they had a very dysfunctional relationship um although i felt in suicide squad that they romanticized it that i felt like i felt like the cartoon that the animated series kept it realer than the, the live mm. action so yeah so there's there's things that definitely need to be worked on in suicide squad um as far as far as the critical reception of suicide squad <laughs> I think it has like a twenty. It's at twenty-seven or twenty-eight percent at Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty much, kind of the same uh, reception that Batman vs Superman got. Um, I mean, I'll say it's a little bit better than Batman vs Superman. That's not really saying much. Um, <laughs> but you know, as far as like the online. Um, you know, it it does seem that we're living in an age of, so in the age of social media, we're living in the age of hot takes. It's hot takes and snark, and you know, there just seems to be this competition between certain. I don't think all film critics, but I think some film critics, where they're really just baiting uh, readers, right? So the more provocative the statements, the more provocative the headlines then, you know, that you'll click on it, right? And we all know the social, you know, we all know the, the, the game of online outlets is that, you know, they need eyeballs and they need circulation, right? So you need people to repeat your articles. And so the more controversial the review, then that gives you more attention. So I do feel like there is a segment of the film critic community where they are, pandering. There's a certain amount of pandering going on and they just want to be, it's this weird like high school competition on like Heather's, like you can be the nastiest person. Um, you know, and, and that's fine. I'm not saying you have to like Suicide Squad. That's not what I'm saying at all. I didn't like it. I gave, you know, I gave my opinion on it, but you know, I do feel like there are some people that are just doing the most right now. They are just going on and beyond and I just feel like the movie doesn't even merit half of the vitriol that it's getting right now. Mm. It's not a great movie, but, you know, again, there are people saying this movie is worse than Catwoman or as bad as Catwoman, and that's, that's a stretch because I saw Catwoman. That movie was awful. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do feel that, you know, for the film criticism community, do your job. Give your opinion, back up your opinion, and leave it at that. I mean, if you want to be a little snarky, that's fine. But, you know, it just seems that there there does seem to be a feeling that people just came in wanting to hate this movie. And, you know, they just couldn't wait to share with people how bad the movie was. So, 
I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I see this kind of all the time, and, and coincidentally, it always seems to happen around um, superhero movies, comic book mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the fan response and fan anticipation for superhero movies or comic book movies are, is always intense to the point where me not have been, me having not been um, a comic book reader. I always feel like the the amount of pressure, people are just like, one, people always want to compare the comic book to the movie, which is always just unfair. Comparing a book mm-hmm. to, the, to a movie, it doesn't even matter the genre, mm-hmm. comic book, graphic novel, regular novel, it's all just an unfair comparison, I always thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's always very passionate. When I would say... Passionate is like the euphemism I would use when it comes <laughs> to social media. I would say aggressive. I would say mm-hmm. mean. And there are movies, and you know I love good snark. I love me some good snark. But, I mean, when it, when it comes to um, – because I'll see this, and this is such a social media type thing. I think that something that was birthed on social media, this birthed the social media film critic, where mm-hmm. – People use either hyperbole to say, oh, my gosh, this is the worst movie over the last 20 years, which is a really high statement. Like, if I were to think of that, I would have, like, such a list. I would have to really, really think that. But people just kind of fluently say things like this so easily, and I'm just like, really? Because, I mean, this other movie still exists. Are you still you still want to talk about that? Yeah. So there, it, there's a lot of that. And then um, – People will say on the on the other hand, they'll say, "Oh my gosh, this is the best movie of all time." And I'm like, mm, you know, <laughs> this is all subjective, obviously, and then people have to really realize that. And and I think the people who have to realize that most is probably critics, because what happens is critics often say, "Well, you're not a good." critic or you're not a good writer or whatever the case because they don't agree with you. That's not a fair assessment because Mm -hmm. if that were the case, I would hate like so many critics. I really look for their assessment, how they arrived at their assessment, their analysis, their writing. I'm looking at all of that. And the last thing I look at is whether or not I agree with them. You know what Mm. I mean? Because at the end of the day, even if we both like a film, we might like it for completely different reasons. So, you know what I mean? So, it, it doesn't, we just have to learn to coexist, you know, and that's just so difficult. And I think, but also when it comes to fan response, I think that people similarly need to realize that just because a critic hates the movie that you love doesn't mean that you shouldn't watch the movie. If you love it, you should continue to love it. And that and that's completely fine. But this right. need this mandate to both of you guys have to have the same opinion, whether it's the critic and the fan or the another critic and another critic or one critic and another critic or one fan and another fan. That's just so euphoric. We don't live in that world. We've never lived in that world. And we don't, and that's okay. You know what I mean? That's okay to disagree. You don't have to be pissy or rude or mean or, or you, you're, 
your ass would be blocked immediately, first of all. I mean, other people might engage with you. They might engage with you, but I, I'm just like, wait a minute, you live inside my computer. Really? Block. <laughs> like, like you're, not, you're not that important to me to be going back and forth mm-hmm. like this over a movie. And so, right. that, and so that's, um, that's kind of my two cents on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love Twitter. I love social media. It's really great, but especially recently, it seems like Twitter is all or nothing, black or white. You are either with me or you are dead to me, and there is no middle <laughs> ground. There is no, we can agree to disagree. There is none of that. And especially, when, like you said, the um, with the comic book films, you know, people are very passionate, <laughs> to, say, <laughs> to say the least, the very least, about these characters, and they love them, and they've grown up with them. So they have, like, a huge amount of emotional attachment to these things and so if you don't like it you are dead to them and they're going to tell you that a million different ways with a million different hashtags and all kinds of flowery evil language to let you know how much they hate you so it's really it's really crazy like there is no middle ground whatsoever and it's kind of nuts (laughs) to put it on yeah like and who who has time for that like no it's not that serious Nothing. Yeah, it's um, I think particularly with, and I think you you hit it at Candace with comic book movies, because you're dealing with um, you know, people who have, like Kim said, you know, who have read these characters, and so there's this um expectation that the movie is going to be like the comic book that they read, right? So they have an idea of what superhero X is like because they've read them since they were five years old. And so, you know, when the movie is announced, they expect that superhero to be exactly the same way. Um, and it, it just doesn't work like that, you know, because the thing is when you're, when you're adapting a comic book into a movie, um, there's going to have to be, there's going to have to be some creative license there. You have mm-hmm. to be flexible enough as a fan and, and trust the filmmaker right, in order to make the right decision. Um, you know, and I always use the Dark Knight trilogy as, as a really good example of that. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan walked into um, getting the Batman franchise, and I think he said in interviews, he was like, I didn't really read comic books when I was, you know, growing up, because, you know, he went to boarding school, very preppy, that type of thing. You know what I mean? He's a proper British man. Um, and so he really wasn't part of that fandom or the, you know, the fanboy uh, community. And so, you know, Warner's picked him to adapt the Dark Knight trilogy because they saw something in his body of work where they felt like, okay, he can bring something to this, right? Because remember, the last Batman movie was by Joel Schumacher, and that was garbage, okay? <laughs> he totally killed the franchise. And so they were like, you know, and I appreciated the fact that Warner was like, you know what, we don't even need, we don't even need somebody who's a fanboy. We need a filmmaker. We have, we need somebody who has a cinematic eye and is a good, is a, a really good storyteller to bring this to life. And so what I really liked about, the, uh, you know, I think the fact that he hadn't read Batman was an asset to Christopher Nolan because he came into it objectively. 
He didn't have any expectations of Batman, right? So he and his brother, Jonathan Nolan, really deconstructed the character from a psychological point of view. They're like, okay, let's let's strip him down. Let's strip down Batman. Let's take away the mask. Let's take away the costume. Let's find out who Bruce Wayne really is. And that's the key to, to any superhero. It's not being obsessed with their abilities. It's not being obsessed with the costume and what they wear. It's really finding out who they are from the inside, working from the inside out. That, is, to me, is the key of having a really good superhero movie. So I feel like fans really need to understand that this is the process, that when you're adapting it to screen, you no longer own that property because once it goes into the cinematic universe, then it is up to the film critics to decide was this a good film, right? And I get into a lot of discussions with people where, you know, you'll critique a comic book movie, and they're like, oh, but the, but the comic book said, oh, but it's canon. I don't care about that. I really don't. I give two shits about that. What I care about as a film critic is did it execute? Was it executed well, right? I don't care about whether he's from planet Zubon 55, I don't give a shit about that. that. I don't care about them. I want to know: Do I care about this character? Do the things that he, the things that this person um, things that this person does or says does it jive? Does it make sense? Does it make sense within the narrative? The special effects, all of that, are just bells and whistles, right? Kenny flies the cop. All of that is just like icing on the cake, Effects. right? Mm-hmm. None of that mm-hmm. matters for me. It's about is the movie done well? And so, in you know, people need to be honest. Suicide Squad is not a good movie. Stop, stop <laughs> messing around here. Come on now. You know what I mean? At least, and, and I'm just speaking from my opinion cinematically, it's not a well-executed film. So it doesn't matter whether you love all the characters or not. You know, it's just a matter of what we see on screen. And so there's that. And then on the other side, you've got film critics who, who do walk into comic book movies where they have a disdain for comic book mm. movies. A lot of them are always like, oh, no, not another comic book movie. Yeah. All comic book movies are killing the movie industry. Mind you, only maybe three or four comic book movies come out a year, right? <laughs> so out of, like, 200. Um, so there's definitely, like, this, this elitism among film critics that do not take superhero or comic book movies seriously. And I think that is a huge mistake because comic books are a cornerstone of American culture. It is part of pop culture. So you as a film critic should do your freaking homework. If you know that you're going to be reviewing a certain comic book movie, it wouldn't kill you to pick up a couple. You don't have to read every comic book, but maybe ask around, hey, what two or three titles should I read about this person so I can get an idea? Um, this disdain for comic books and superheroes, it's not helping. Um, for me, I find that superheroes are actually part of American mythology, the same way that you have the Greek gods, the Greek culture and the Roman gods. That's what superheroes are for us. For the, You know what I mean? So I feel like we probably need to take these movies a little bit more seriously um, in, the, in, in the film critic community because you resisting against it, you're going to get left behind because they're going to keep making these movies. So you, buy, you might as well get on the train and figure it out. Of course. I mean, one, Suicide Squad made a lot of money at the box office, yes. by the way. It had a Thank whole you. turnout. <laughs> you know, fans, you know, were really anticipating whether that's going to be duplicated next week. I don't know. Maybe they told all their friends not to go see it. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. really know. 
But mm-hmm. you can't deny the fan anticipation. <laughs> like, yeah. it was really, really serious. And it's really interesting how critics are, you know, I, I like to think that we should all be reviewing films of a variety of genres, and, I, and I've, mm-hmm. I've watched a lot of stupidity. <laughs> I've watched mm-hmm. a lot of stupidity. <laughs> I've watched a lot of really great films as well. But, um, you know, there are movies that I anticipated, you know, to be really, really bad and they end up being really, really good. Movies that mm-hmm. I was just, like, did not care about but end up being really, you know, taken by it. Um, and then on the flip side, there are movies that I had so much, like, excitement for, and they end up royally disappointing me. <laughs> I try, <laughs> you know, I try to kind of go in, you know, try to go in with an open mind. But, of course, you know, we get so much material. This is another thing that I've talked about recently. We get so much material, so many clips, so many posters, so many motion posters in their interviews. There's so We're inundated with information that we've already mm-hmm. come in with our assessment. So it's like, yep. we don't even need to see the movie because we've already reviewed it in our head and we've already got our headline picked out because God forbid you have a bad headline <laughs> or you have, like, because this is what's happening because, and, and this is kind of smart for writers, for, for bloggers, mm-hmm. writers. Um, what's interesting is that people these days, and I've seen it done even with my reviews, people will only read the headline. Because, yep. you know, everybody kind of tweet, tweet out their thing. They'll tweet out there. You know, everybody's, like, sharing their links or whatever. And people will only read the headline. And I'm just like, what? there was other things, I said. <laughs> like, I, I said a whole lot of other words. And so, <laughs> there, there's so, and so it, it was just, it's so crazy because even though, like, sometimes people want, well, oftentimes, people want to grab you with the headline, but you're going to have to be grabbed. Like, you can't just read the headline and go to the next, like, tweet. You have to, like, click on the link, actually read what is being said, because then this is another thing that I think is leading people to question whether we are um, nearing the death of film criticism, because criticism is just not read anymore. And you understand, like, the, the progression of film criticism, how it used to be, strictly about the technique, strictly about the quality of the camera angles, the, the, you know, all like the film techie stuff, it used to strictly be about that. Now it's about cultural analysis. It's about social analysis, political analysis. It's about the story, which I, I tend to lean heavily on, and characterization and things like that. So people are looking at a variety of different things. So you can't, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going on a tangent. I think I don't even remember what my full point was. But the, all this to say is that you you really have to um, you have to go you as a reader you have to go in and one give you know if you're the type that reads reviews before you actually see the movie you know go in just listen to what they're saying whatever or if you don't want to read the review you don't have to read it and you don't actually have to take any actions on like after you're reading the review you can be like okay this i hated this review or this review is nothing to do with anything blah blah, blah. 
and, and that's it. You don't actually have to be so compelled to reach out to the writer to like defame all critics or anything like no generally I mean there are some critics that do this but no one's telling you not to see a movie they're telling you what their opinion of a movie was whatever whatever you want to do with that after reading it is your is on you yeah yeah I think it's really weird that people and again I think it has to do with social media and just the the culture of it all like, if you don't like something that someone says, like you said, you don't have to respond. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I spend the vast majority of my time on Twitter not responding to dumb stuff that people say. Yep. Like, that's an option. It's a real option. You don't have to respond. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought that was interesting. I know we've had this conversation before, and I'm pretty sure it was about another comic book movie. <laughs> but it just seems to be, like, I, I just, have been seeing a lot of like, oh, I hate critics. Critics are awful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you're, you're either reading the wrong ones or you're not reading them in the way – you're reading them for them to tell you what to do with your life, what to do with your money. And that's not – you're putting way too much responsibility in the critics. Like that's not what they're there for. But, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, – well, particularly with Suicide Squad, I think – what's going on is that there's a certain lack of credit um, or there's a lack of distrust because of the overwhelmingly negative um, reviews of, of, of Suicide Squad from some critics versus moviegoers who went to see it and they were like, this movie is not as bad as you guys said it was. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So they feel like, there's, like they've been bamboozled, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, wait a minute, you said it was zero stars or whatever, and I saw it, and mm-hmm. I liked it. You know, which, again, goes into the whole, um, the differences of what moviegoers are going for and what film critics are going for. And and I, mm-hmm. and I think we just need to respect that. I mean, you know, like I said, the average moviegoer, um, and this is, this is not a measure of intelligence. It's not about that at all. It's about what people are going into when they pay their fifteen dollars to see a movie. Um, most people they've worked a forty to fifty hour week and they just wanna unwind. They just wanna, you know, shut their brain off at the door and just be like, you know, I just wanna escape <laughs> the reality mm-hmm. of my, you know, shitty boss and my nagging wife and my damn kids. And so, you know what I mean? Even if they're sitting right next to them. And, you know, they they just want they just wanna unplug. And so, you know, if it's like entertainment, mindless car chases or whatever, that's what they're going for. And and film critics are looking for something else, you know, especially if you've gone to mm-hmm. film school, studied film theory, you're looking for specific things. No one is right, no one is wrong. I hate the Transformers franchise. I hate it and I wish it would burn down to the ground and just hear it with like penicillin and space. Hate it. Hate it. But people love it. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. multi-billion dollar franchise. So as many negative reviews that I could write about of Transformers, it's not going to stop moviegoers from going to see it. And I, as a film critic, have to respect moviegoers for seeing that movie. They obviously see a value in that movie that I don't. And that's okay. You know what I mean? We just need to be able to, res- you know, respectfully disagree and leave mm-hmm. it at that. But like you guys said, it's not enough to do that anymore. Now you have to insult the person personally and make aspersions about 
their personality, their intelligence, or their, you know, are they woke or not, or are they feminist enough, or are they this, or are they that? You know, I have my feminist critiques of Suicide Squad, but if you say you like Suicide Squad, I don't think you're less of a feminist. I just leave it at that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of, just to kind of go back on what you were saying earlier, Rebecca, regarding how there are critics who also, um, they are going in just viewing the film negatively because secretly they hate comic book movies. And they, you know, there there's a lot, first of all, there's a bias against anything that's, um, genre related and I say horror I say sci-fi I say comic book movies you can see that in the critical response you can see that at the Oscars that's just there seems to be just an automatic dismissal of these movies as, as offering any type of merit so that's also coming into play often um, and it's just like, oh, okay, well, this is fun, but this isn't like a real movie or whatever. And, and they're secretly just hoping all those movies die. And I'm just like, well, what? They're the ones who are actually making the money, though. I mean, <laughs> as much as I, I love, you know, great independent movies, independent dra- drama. Um, a lot of there's a lot of really great dramatic films out there, but a lot of the movies that I love don't make any money. <laughs> There are some movies that I love that make a lot of money, but just understand uh, there, there just seems to be a distance between actuality and what people are kind of going for. But also, even when it comes to, I think, Lord of the Rings, like my critics love that movie. I I had very strong negative reactions to that entire series, but that's just not my thing. I'm willing to own that, but a lot of other people, I think, are not being as forthcoming. They're they're saying, oh, no, I went in, you know, um, just completely open-minded, blah, 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 and I just don't think that's the case. I think they're looking to dismiss something. They're looking for that headline. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it's a game right now because it's like, you know, you've got all these outlets. Um, you know, the editors have to, you know, report to their managing editors. Managing editors have to report there, you know what I mean? So it's like this whole hierarchy where it's like, you know, if you write an article, like your your main goal, I mean, I think there are some outlets that are looking for good writing. Don't get me wrong. I think there's some fantastic writers out there. Whether I agree with them or not, that's not the point. The writing is solid. Um, but I do feel like there is there are some outlets and some writers, they're just clickbait. That's all they do. They just mm-hmm. write stuff to rile people up. You know what I mean? And it's like I just have to try not to fall for that. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and, and, and just be responsible. And I, and I said this, you know, a couple of months ago, particularly if you're a writer who's going into the um, – who's entering the arena of writing for outlets, you really need to trust your editor. Because I've seen a, a few writers get burnt because they wrote an article and then their editor wrote a very controversial or provocative title and like you said, mm-hmm. people will react off of the title, and then sometimes the writer is like, I didn't even write that title. You know, like, you'll mm-hmm. read the article and be like, wait a minute, this article doesn't even match the, you right. know what I mean? And that, and that's right. the game. Mm-hmm. They, they just want to, you know, rile people up. And so, and then you're the one getting people in your mentions, you know, getting upset, and you're like, I didn't even pick that. That wasn't even <laughs> right. my fault. So, right. And then yeah. also, I, I say I'm just like, 
read the damn article. There were things that were said there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just like, why are we, why, why, reading is fundamental. I just want to start there. Uh-huh. And, two, and two, like, why, why are we talking, what people are, are seeing a lot of, a lot of, and people had asked me this too as well, and I'm just like, one, I haven't read a single suicide, suicide squad review. I was strictly just reading the tweets, and I'm going to own that because I I did not want to to read any uh-huh. reviews because I try uh-huh. not to read reviews of movies that I definitely want to see and I definitely want to see Suicide Squad. But right. people are just like people are thinking, oh, I I I saw the review of so and so. I'm like, no, you didn't. You just read the title and you have concocted a whole narrative around this tweet. And that is just, it just burns my soul as a writer, as somebody who spends a lot of times with words and coming up with sometimes a thousand word stories. And I'm just like, what? That's all, this is where we're at, where we're just, we can, we only have the mindset to absorb 120 characters. Really? Is that what we're living in right now? And we've created like whole think pieces around headlines and tweets. Yeah. Right. We yeah. have to be, do better than this. We have to do better than this. But that, that's the trap, though. I mean, I, you know, you're, now you're seeing articles where there's not even any journalism involved. It's just a matter of people curating tweets, and they're like, oh, this happened, and this is what so-and-so said, and then you'll see, like, 20 right. tweets, 10, 20 tweets of what mm-hmm. other people wrote. And I'm like, wow, like, that <laughs> is, that's where we're at right now. But, yeah, but it, it, mm. it's feeding the beast. Like, Twitter has become such a monster right now. I forget how many million users are on Twitter. The, the outlets can, can't even match the demand for the output, right? Because it's like you've got all these people who are online and, you know, they've got to be able to put, you know, material out in order for them to consume it. And so it's like this weird cannibalistic, this weird relationship. And it's just like, and I think some of these outlets know it, that they can't match it. They can't, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I applied for a job once and they were like, they were looking for like a, a weekend blogger, right? And they were expecting this weekend blogger. You had to post eight stories, eight Crazy. stories on between <laughs> between Friday, Sunday, Saturday, and Sunday. So twenty four articles. What human being can do that? <laughs> that's that's, that's unheard of. That you is unheard what, of. You know what's also? It's true because this is the the demand is insane, and what's also passing as posts like. Me, I'm thinking, like, especially back in the day, I'm thinking of actual articles. I'm like, wow, you want me to post, like, eight articles a day? That's intense. But they're mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you know, no, it can just be a video. And, oh, you can write a blog about an actual tweet. I'm just like, what? <laughs> the actual <laughs> tweet can be embedded in the blog, and that is your full blog post. I'm just like, yep. this is wow. really insane right now. So... And think pieces. I used to like think pieces. I mean, I'll read a think piece here and there, but now it's it's to the point where some of the think pieces have become, it's become navel-gazing right now. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it'll be like, it'll just be like this 2,000-word essay on something. I'm just like, oh, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're living in this thing where everybody, yeah, everybody wants to be woke. I want to be in a damn coma sometimes. That was just (laughs) damn woke me. I cannot. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort. Everybody's just like, 
hyper analyzing things is like, oh, yeah, hyper analyzing. <laughs> That's perfect, Candace. That is perfect. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, oh, you got something? something happens. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. there are going to be at least seven think pieces tomorrow. Maybe eight. Probably not, but at least seven. At least seven. Doesn't matter what the situation is. At least seven. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah. But um, again, like I said at the top of the show, it's we're we're still celebrating the Olympics that are in Rio. I don't know if either of you two are watching it. Either of you watched any of the games yet? I have. Today I've been watching rugby. Um, the women's oh. rugby. I think this is the first time that they've actually had women's rugby in the Olympics, and it's been fascinating to me, as I don't think oh. I've ever watched rugby before today. I'm not <laughs> even sure what rugby is, so I'm fascinated. Yeah, yeah it's like football, kind of, kind of like soccer. Yeah, it's just really, it's fascinating. Uh, I'm going to have to like, Google it <laughs> and find out their rugby matches here in Charlotte that I can actually go to, but it's really fun. Um, so I've been watching that. And this morning I watched the road race, which was, you know, the cyclists. That was pretty intense all the way up to the end. It's, a, it's amazing. I love the Olympics because I watch these things that I generally have zero interest in, like literally <laughs> probably found out what the rugby was today. Never watched the cyclist race at all in my life. So, yeah, I love it. True. I have seen a lot of the – I've seen some of the cycling. I've seen some of the swimming, gymnastics, some of the rowing. Um, I feel like I'm missing something. Those are the main ones. I've seen a little bit of the indoor volleyball. Mm-hmm. So, and I bring this up because we're going to go into our segment on sports theme movies. Um, and I wanted to kind of get your thing, your both of your takes on the your favorite sports theme movies of all time, and a little bit, I guess, of why and, and, and what you look for in a sports movie. So I will start with Kim. Okay. Um, so when we first thought of this topic, of course, the first thing that popped into my mind, and really the only thing that popped into my mind at first, was <laughs> Cool Runnings, which I know is <laughs> insane, uh, about the Jamaican bobsled team. Um, I love the movie because, like, they are the ultimate underdogs, and I think that's a really good, uh, an important, you know, aspect of a, a good sports film. Like, they were, I think they were track stars who, like, mm. had some incident and didn't make it to the Olympics, so they decided we're going to start a um, bobsled team in Jamaica, where there's, mm. like, no snow whatsoever. Um, so, you know, they work hard, they get a trainer, and they do all this stuff to compete in the Olympics. Um, so, I really, it's just you know, the the ultimate underdog story. Like, they had no chance of probably ever making it to the Olympics or winning or anything like that. But they they went for it. They gave it their all. Um, so that's one of my favorites. Um, other sports films. Recently, you know, I was really, really late to the Rocky game. <laughs> like, <laughs> I watched my first Rocky movie like, 24 hours before Creed came out. <laughs> so I, like, literally that whole week I binge-watched every Rocky film and was like, why didn't anyone tell me before now that these films were great? But, of course, everyone had told me before then. I just didn't listen. So um, love the Rocky films. Again, um, Sylvester Stallone, he's one of those people that I kind of like, I guess because I hadn't seen Rocky and I just I don't even know what I had seen him in before that. I gave him zero credit for anything, really. I did. 
But watching these films, I was like, okay, he's actually talented. He wrote the screenplay. You know, he's legit. Like, I just didn't get it previously. So, um, <laughs> love the Rocky films. Uh, love Creed. Creed was amazing. Um, I've been on this whole boxing film kick recently because I watched Southpaw. I thought that was awesome. I was like, I want to be a boxer for like seven minutes, but then you have to get hit, and that's just not going to work out for me. Um, other than that, recently I saw a documentary called Believe Land, which was kind of like about the trials and tribulations of all the teams in Cleveland. You know, they had the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cleveland Indians, and I think the Cleveland Browns was the football team, and they all had these dramatic losing streaks. They were just horrible and just the fact that that kind of had on the – citizens of the town and how they all just felt so personally attached to it. Um, And they recently had to redo the ending of the film because the Cleveland Cavaliers actually won in basketball this year, so they went back and kind of redid the ending of the film. So it was a really good documentary just kind of, you know, showing how the sports team and their success has an impact on the morale of the city. Because people really, really love sports. And I'm not that sports person. Like, now I'm kind of into it a little bit, and I say a little bit, mostly, you know, <laughs> because of the Olympics right now or because I went to see Creed before I got all into it, but people who love sports, like, legit hardcore love sports, like, they are ride or die for their team. Yep. Um, and I could say recently with the Carolina Panthers, I got a little bit more into it, but, you know, if they're snapped on in a football game, I'm probably going to watch snaps, but you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> right. to work my way through that. Um, what else did I have on my list? I think last year I saw the Jackie Robinson story, not to be confused with 42. This was like a 1950s movie where Jackie Robinson actually played Jackie Robinson in the movie about his life. That was interesting. I can't say it was like a great film or that I loved it, but I just thought it was really cool that in 1950 they were like, you know what, you're going to play yourself in this film. And then he did. Um, <laughs> Ruby D was also in it. It was a it was a it was a decent film. It was interesting, kind of like documentary narrative, just because he was playing himself. Mm. Um, let's see what else I have. I had the Gabby Douglas story because I do love gymnastics. This was a Lifetime movie, but it was a decent Lifetime movie. Um, oh gosh, I can't think of the actress's name who played on Everyone Hates Chris as the little sister Tanya, but she yes. played Gabby Douglas and. Regina King was in it, so that's always a bonus. Um, Just kind of telling her story before the Olympics in London and her rise to success. Um, What else do I have? The other one, the last one I had was The Long Shots with Kiki Palmer and um, Ice Cube. Not the greatest movie, but another one of those kind of underdog girl wants to play football, so she plays for Pop Warner and, you know, ends up being like the star of the team. Just a really good, mm-hmm. still good movie to watch. So those are my favorites. That good. I'm glad that you Thanks. enjoyed the Rocky films. It's one of, this, they're, they're some of my faves. Well, I, particularly yeah. the first one. Yeah, like the first. I would say the first three were the best. Then it was just like, y'all are just dragging this man out to make some money, and it's kind of cruel because he is like 102 and is struggling. <laughs> but, yeah. Right, right. There we go, though. Um, Rebecca, what's on your list? Uh, I have a, just a few. 
Um, the first sports movie that I actually remember watching, and I don't remember the actress, but it was a TV movie. It was called The Wilma, the Wilma Rudolph Story. Um, and she was um, she was a little black girl who Wilma Rudolph actually wore uh, leg braces because um, I think there was something wrong with her feet or something like that. And then she went on to be like an Olympic um, winning uh, runner, sprinter. And I remember that movie because there was one point when I was little where they were, my doctors had thought that I was going to have to wear um, leg braces. And so my mom sat me down and made me watch the movie to kind of, you know, inspire me, <laughs> so to speak, because I was freaking out. I was like, I don't want to wear leg braces. And, you know, she sat me down and she was like, yeah, but look what happened to her. She was like, yeah, she wore the leg braces, but look how strong she ended up being. And sometimes, you know, you just need a couple of years and stuff. I, I ended up not needing them, but I that movie always made an impact on me. Um, Chariots of Fire, love that movie. Um, let's see. I also I've like... Yeah, it's really it's really good. It was oh, I forget something. I forget the name of the actors, but of course, like the music is like one of the most iconic. You know, the Chariots Chariots of Fire music. Um, it's really inspirational. Um, I do love Remember the Titans. I don't I don't know why I love this movie so much. I mean, it's everybody pretty much seems it. to love it. Yeah, it's like a it's a paint by the numbers inspirational football story. But I think what really made it was Denzel Washington's character. I loved his performance in Remember the Titans because he was just a no-nonsense. He wasn't putting up with that racist nonsense, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he really pushed back, and he really fought for his team. So I, I, I always like Remember the Titans. Um, like you, Kim, I'm a big fan of the of the Rocky movies. Um, one, one, two, three are my favorites. I do like four, the one with, 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 with Draco. That's iconic, of course. Um, and... It, it was just so wonderful to see Creed, to see how Ryan Coogler was able to take everything from the Rocky movies. You could tell that he was a fan. And to create this new uh, franchise with, with um, you know, Apollo Creed's son, you could tell that he really watched Rocky and he really cared about these characters. And, and I thought Sylvester Stallone had gave one of the best performances in his career in that movie. I really loved it. it. And it made me cry because it was like I, I had watched, I had marathoned, uh, watched, you know, Rocky 1 through 6 before I saw Creed. And it was like, it, it's really like watching your parent age, you know, because the first movie when he did Rocky was like in his late 20s. And then that first scene when he comes up from out of the basement, he's all gray. And it's like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then that final scene in Creed where they walk up the stairs See, that makes me so emotional because it's like <laughs> the first movie, he was just sprinting up there, and then he's telling, yeah. you know, he's telling Apollo Creed, um, uh, Michael B. Jordan's character, hey, you know what, I need a break, you know? Yeah, and and yeah. I think it was just lovely to show that we do Progression. age, and there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that but to really honor our elders. So um, I really love Creed. Um Love and basketball, it's not exactly an Olympic story, but it is a sports movie that's mixed with a love story. And I think Gina Prince-Bicewood did a really good job of balancing both themes in her movie. Um, and let's see, what else? I like Cool Runnings. I think I always watch Cool Runnings when it comes out. It was really cute. Um, I saw the Gabby Douglas story, I think, last year. That was good, too. Um, there's another sports movie that I'm thinking of. Um, I actually, 
actually like there were two movies that came out that year. There was the Fighter and the War and Warrior, right? I did not like the mm-hmm. Fighter at all, but I did like um, the Warrior. That was with Joel Edgerton and I forget the name yeah. of the other actor. To me, that was the better of the two movies because you know it's two brothers fighting each other. I mean. So, I mean, the fighter dealt with two brothers, too, but I felt like the warrior had more of an emotional core in it. Plus, the acting was better, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, those those are some of my favorite movies. Those are good ones. I, oh, to also talk a little bit about um, one of your choices, Kim, there is a new um, documentary, or newish, well, I, I, maybe it's like a year old, um, documentary on Jackie Robinson, and I think it was made for PBS. Um, it was directed by Ken Burns, and so oh. that, and it's, it's very, very good. If you are interested in Jackie, either of you are interested in Jackie Robinson films or the narrative, that one I think is a particularly good one. And I, and I, you guys both know I really, really despise 42, but this <laughs> is a very interesting. It, it was just, it, this is, I think, is a more um, um, immersive experience of his story. So, um, yeah. Um, but on my list, I, so I can't say that I'm a big sports film fan, um, but I do know that when it comes to sports films, I like I, I like sports films that really kind of talk about the characters and the human aspect um, and less about the actual sport, if that makes sense. Um, and so I like I kind of go for films that in, in in the case where like the sport and the playing of the sport are actually in the background, um, and it's really about the development of these characters. So say that um, my preface to say that. Um, the Wrestler made my list. Um, I actually kind of oh, forgot yes. about this film. I love and that film. <laughs> yeah, it it's, it's really it's really good. It's really depressing, um, particularly yes. for. I mean, if you guys are familiar with Darren Aronofsky films, um, he he tends to get get you right in the gut and very um, like I I think of Black Swan. I think of. Um, um, Requiem for a Dream, like he really goes for the human emotion, and I think that is this is a it's subdued, but it's also another iteration of what he is um, known for. Um, Field of Dreams, um, A League of Their Own, which is very sports heavy, but also just really talks about the women. Um, Rocky is already also on my list, the first movie. Um, basketball Diaries, and what's interesting about the Basketball Diaries, about Basketball Diaries, is that um, I don't remember basketball really being any part of the film, but mm-hmm. I, I do recall, I, I believe Leonardo DiCaprio's character had aspirations to be like this super great basketball athlete, but instead went down a very fast downward spiral into drug addiction. Um, and so this movie is it's, it's very kind of requiem for a dream is in that it's very, very hard hitting, um, but a very, very um, good performances or performance really from um, Leonardo DiCaprio. The Karate Kid makes my list um, just for the overall just 
it being amazing, classic, and rough macho, and I just love everything about it. I love the fact that he was such a, um, what do you call it, um, um, uh, underdog, and he really, really rose up by the end of the film. I love just seeing the progression of his journey. Um, a film that <laughs> apparently a lot of people don't like, but I obsess over and can quote um, is Jerry Maguire. I love every aspect of that film. Um, again, it's it's like an adult coming-of-age film, and I think a lot of characters are coming of age in that movie, but particularly um, the lead actor, um, the lead character played by Tom Cruise. Um, Ali, um, another film that apparently people don't really love. I actually really love it, and um, I think it's still... Will Smith's best perform, best dramatic performance to date. Um, take whatever you want from that, but I do think that he showed some chops. Although I do think that he was surrounded by a really, really great cast. I think that um, um, Jamie Fox was particularly amazing in that. Um, and finally, uh, what made my list is Million Dollar Baby. Again, oh, yeah. um, not particularly a heavily on sports because she was debilitated for most of the movie but um, it's very well done if you're if you know Clint Eastwood films it's very dark there's like nobody can find a light bulb ever it's always very very dim in all of his movies um, this is no exception and Hilary Swank is just great 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 um, love my list I like it I forgot about the the wrestler. That was such a great, great film. Mickey Rourke, he's the best. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that from him because he's another person who looked really debilitated in that, despite the fact that he was going on, like he was still trying to do his whole boxing thing or wrestling thing, despite the mm-hmm. fact that he definitely should not have done it. Um, should not. But, yeah. <laughs> right. But um, it just really shows the determination of the human spirit, despite the um, human body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my list. We might be able to cut the show short, um, unless you guys have anything else to add. Yay, nay. I don't think we're good. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Bye. Right. Bye.